Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, fencing and parking. Fencing, there's advantages and disadvantages to every style, to every body type. It was my first Olympic. It was a strange one. Tokyo was very, very, probably pretty well, like probably better than the average person. <laughs> um, but it's, fencing is fencing is very different. Sword fighting and fencing is very, it's very different. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest is an Olympian who competes for Team USA. And what I found so fascinating about this is that I've seen fencing, I kind of know what's going on, but the ins and outs of this sport at the highest level are just so much more than I would have ever thought. This is Olympic fencer, Jackie Dubrovich. So starting with kind of the basics, like I've seen fencing on TV. Mm -hmm. I know what's going on, but I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. We hear that a lot from a lot of spectators. Um, So... Yes, at its core, fencing, you're trying to hit the opponent in front of you. Um, And where it starts to get a little bit tricky is there are three different weapons. So I fence foil. There's also epee and saber that have their own rules, um, their own targets of where you can actually hit and touch as register. Um, And then it gets even more complicated because there's something called right of way in fencing. So there's a lot of rules. Um, you have a referee, right, who ultimately designates whose touch it is based on the rules of right of way. Um, it's definitely complicated, but I would say at its core, you're really just trying to hit the person in front of you. Um, and you're trying to get to 15 touches. Um, whoever gets to 15 touches first or once time expires, whoever has the most touches, if you don't get to 15, is ultimately the winner. So I hear this a lot from my friends and family that it's very complicated to follow and isn't the most spectator friendly. It looks cool though, right? Like every time I see it on, whenever the Olympics comes around, I'm always like, ooh, fencing. Yeah, that's usually where most people first see fencing is during every four years at the Olympics. Um, 
I would say probably people who uh, you most commonly associate fencing with like, you hear one of two things, Zorro or the parent trap. That's usually people's first introduction to it. Um, and people love saber fencing. Saber is the really flashy weapon. It's the one where you can kind of, they look like they're flying. Um, you can hit people in the head and it counts as a touch. Um, foil is a little bit different. I would say it's more technical. It has a smaller target area. So um, we like to say that we just have a little bit more finesse. Um, and then FA, you can hit anywhere in the body. Uh, so any you can hit somebody in the toe, in the finger, and it would still count as a touch. Which one of those is kind of like, that's that's the big one. That's the big discipline, right? Like I think of track, there's all these kind of things, but I go 100 meters at the end of the day. Saber is the one that people just love to watch because it's super flashy. It's super fast. You're seeing people get hit in the head, sometimes a bit brutal, I would say, uh, Saber. So I think if you're a non-fencer, that's the most appealing to watch. So then when we look at that, right, like the, the Saber fencers, do they have a little bit of like, ooh, I'm the Saber fencer. Are they a little are, are they a little cockier than the other fencers? <laughs> I would say there are very distinct personalities that do better in each weapon. I will just leave it at that. <laughs> very that's, so basically I'll fill in the blanks for you like that's a yes but you're very diplomatic a, a, about it. So how did you now like that's fencing doesn't seem like the typical sport that people do. How did you get involved in it? I first when I was younger started doing dance and gymnastics and i was very tall for my uh, age i'm 5'10 so um group to be pretty tall but i was always very uncoordinated very lanky and so i didn't fare well in either of those two sports um it was very bad for my self-esteem <laughs> i was not good at all so i had a cousin that fenced um, and new jersey has a pretty big high school uh fencing scene it's the most developed in the nation you have some of you know the best fencers come out of the New York, New Jersey area. Um, and so I started fencing when I was eight, kind of just playing around with it. Um, fencing has definitely grown in this country. Um, but back then, it was very, very niche. Very few people had heard of it. Um, I had kids make fun of me in school. They're like, do you jump over fences for a sport? Um, so people didn't really know what fencing was. And um, I initially didn't like it. I really just didn't enjoy it. My parents kind of pushed me to keep fencing. And I started getting good results. Um, first, kind of at the local state level, then I started traveling to regional competitions, state competitions. Eventually, as I got older, I started representing the US on various um, teams for international and like world championship teams. Um, and then obviously, I've, I've grown to really love and appreciate the sport as I got older. But I would say in the beginning, it was purely motivated by winning and medals and just being, you know, talented at that young age. Kind of a two-part question, I guess. Like, why are you good at it? When did you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this? I always had a natural advantage because I was taller than a lot of the younger girls um, my age. So having that length is pretty advantageous in fencing. You'll see that a lot of the top fencers in the world, uh, particularly for my discipline, women's foil are pretty tall. And yeah, I would say I started noticing probably when I was like in my early teens, maybe like 11, 12, 13. And once you started getting exposure on the national level and kind of seeing the other fencers that you're contending with, and I saw that I could 
um, contend with them. You know, I was a very physical fencer and I, I still am um, in my career. I'm very physical, very aggressive. Those are kind of attributes that really um, benefit me and have gotten me to where I am in the sport. When we look at like the sport, is it is it better to be faster endurance wise? Like what's kind of the physical demands that make somebody successful or not successful? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say fencing is super unique in that all different body types can excel in the sport. Um, Yes, being tall and physical has shown in this day and age of women's foil fencing in particular to be, um, you know, advantageous. But you also think of like um, fencers who, so the, um, the Olympic champion in Tokyo was my teammate Lee Kiefer, and she is completely different. Uh, body type than me. She's much smaller, skinnier. Um, and it's interesting because fencing, there's advantages and disadvantages to every style, to every body type. And so it kind of levels the playing field. It's really, I would say, how best you develop those skills and attributes based on kind of like your your God-given, you know, your body type. Um so it's really cool because I know obviously in other sports, there's there's certain body types that excel and fencing. Obviously, you need to be in shape, but there's no like one overarching body type that you have to be or you have to strive to. There's not like there's not like a thing where you would look at somebody and be like, that person is a fencer. That's the fencer's dream body to have or something like that. Not not really. Um, you can have a really small but fast fencer very well against a, a, a taller fencer because they're able to kind of get in between the taller fencers tempos and presumably the taller fencer is a bit slower than the smaller fencer so immediately what comes to my mind is like um the korean fencers or japanese fencers they're pretty short compared to us and some of the other countries but what they lack in height they're very very quick um and they can kind of get in between our tempos and they're really hard to hit so there's definitely advantages to all every single body type. What would you say is kind of like your overall strategy for when you're like going in? Yeah, I would say my personal style is very aggressive. I've always been a very aggressive um, physical fencer. I've definitely tried to um, develop other aspects of my game as well um, and just use my strength and my my height to my advantage, but also, um, you know, just it's, in fencing, you're always adjusting. That's something that um, I'm sure it happens in other sports, but you know, you see on the international circuit, a fencer who kind of has a breakthrough, who does really, really well at a competition. Everybody's immediately watching video on them, immediately seeing what kind of style they have, their tendencies, and they pick up on that and know what to do uh, to counteract that. Um, and I would say from that aspect, fencing is a very cerebral sport, right? You're constantly changing your strategy, your tactics. Um, and so you have to be very flexible in fencing. You have to be able to adapt. Um, and so everybody kind of has, I guess, their core style and things that they're good at, but they're always trying to adapt to their opponents and also to just everybody, you know, watching a video on you and knowing what your tendencies are. So in that respect, fencing is is really, really difficult, but also really fun because you always have to be creative and constantly changing. That's what I was going to ask you, right? Like, do you even think necessarily during a match or is it just all reflexes? It's a combination of both. I think if you had to choose, it's it's probably the reflexes that at the end of the day, if it's like 14, 14 and you're, 
you have one touch, whoever wins the next touch, you're probably going to go by your reflexes and all of that training that you've done um, versus being able to like have a game plan in that last touch. It really varies. It's It can be really exciting in that way because I think, you know, you can beat the top fencers, um, not on any given day, but it happens more frequently than you would think. Some sports, I feel like 10 out of 10, somebody's going to win this one 10 out of 10. And then some of them are like toss-ups all the time. Mm-hmm. Is it one of those things where like you can get anybody on any given day? I would say, and this is speaking specifically for uh, women's foil right now, um, there are definitely, I would say, like four or five fencers that have kind of differentiated themselves to be more consistent than other fencers but they're not immune to losing early. So I wouldn't say on any given day they can lose, but it does happen more often than not. You know, I think like you said, in other sports, some of those top athletes, like it would be absolutely shocking if they lost in the first round. It happens more frequently than you would think in fencing. What do you like about it? Um, I would say how cerebral it is of a sport i would say that i love the physicality of it how fast it is uh but i also love being able to outthink my opponent you know when you have that game plan and you're actually able to execute it it's so gratifying because so many things can go wrong and it not actually work out in your favor and so for you to be able to execute what you've been working on in practice or what you um your game plan was going into a specific bout uh feels really good and it's kind of corny, but people call fencing physical chess because you're always trying to think a couple moves ahead from whatever your opponent is doing. And so I really like that that cerebral aspect to the sport. Do you, Can you usually go back and look like, okay, this is why I lost to this person? Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a lot of video uh, that we watch in fencing. You pick up on things that you did in certain moments of the bout. Um, you can see like specific moments and maybe lapses of focus or judgment. And then like very concrete strategic things. Um, you can see where maybe the bout has shifted where maybe you were up 8-5 and then you were in your one minute break. And then the next period, your opponent scored like 10, you know, 10 touches and, and one. Um, you can see why those things happen, whether it's, it's a strategic shift on your opponent's end. Maybe you stopped doing something. Um, or just mentally, you know, you you lost it. Um, so video watching video is a very integral part, I think, of the training process for fencing. So I may get the resume wrong, but 2020 Olympian? Mm-hmm. What was that like? Yeah, it was my first Olympics. It was a strange one. Tokyo was very, very, uh, a very different. Different. <laughs> very different. Um, very different experience. And uh, obviously, I'm so like thankful and appreciative of the of the experience. Um, but it was not like your typical Olympics that you've heard have happened in years past. People were very scared of getting COVID and not competing. So there was less socializing. There was less of that that magic at the Olympics where you're meeting athletes from different countries and you're socializing in the in the lunchroom, right? There there was not that much of that. Um, so I am hoping I'm training for Paris 2024 and I hope to be able to make it to, you know, again, have a shot at another Olympics, but also experience kind of the quintessential part of the Olympic experience. Yeah. I would imagine that that was kind of right. Like if it was me, I wouldn't leave my room 
right? Because you'd be disqualified if you got anything. And it would, it would kind of yeah. take away from the experience, I would imagine, as you look back on it. Yeah, there was that whole element of people just avoiding contact with others. And, you know, everybody was still wearing masks. And Japan was still one of the strictest places in the world in terms of COVID prevention. And so, um, you know, we were being tested every day. So there was definitely an air of just nervousness and people were really scared of getting COVID. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. (laughs) Can you do this professionally? Like outside of the Olympics, can this be something that you can do as a full-time living? Um, In the United States, I would say it's pretty rare. Um, You you would have to have some pretty lucrative sponsorship to be able to, I think, financially be able to sustain yourself. Um, The money that we make from the United States Olympic Committee – and from like the international fencing body is not a livable salary. So for me personally, I have always had um, a full-time job. I actually recently um, quit my job in this past January um, and just decided to solely train for the first time in my life and just fence up until Paris. Um, But for most people, that's not a reality. The system in the United States is not really set up to be able to fence full-time after college. And that's why we kind of see a pretty high attrition rate from um, when people graduate college, because it's, you know, you have to, um, you know, 99% of the time have a full-time job, right? With, unless you have parents who are still, you know, covering the, your living expenses and training expenses. Um, so it's, it's definitely difficult. And there's other countries around the world who have different systems, right? With their governments, right, where the government sponsors Olympic athletes, or they are part of like their police or their um, armies. And so that's how they get their salaries that way. But a niche sport like fencing in the US, it is definitely very, very hard to continue fencing post college. I know this is like a really difficult question to necessarily answer. So as close Mm -hmm. as as close as you can possibly get. But when you talk about like popularity of it, Mm -hmm. where do you think that it would B, right? Like the ones that I can think of immediately off the top of my head, like, is it above ping pong, below mm-hmm. ping pong? Like, where would you say that it kind of sits in the hierarchy of American popularity? Probably not high. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, I've been doing this sport for 20 years now, and it's definitely grown a lot. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that people have Um, a lot of parents have understood that fencing can be great for college recruitment. So that's been a big driver of like adoption of fencing Um, in the United States is, you know, the top Ivy league schools, right? Harvard, Princeton, Columbia have all great, have like fantastic fencing teams. And so there's definitely a driver there is to get into college. Um, And then you have other great programs like Notre Dame, Stanford, right? All fantastic schools. So that is definitely, I think, a big factor. Um, And I would say also, you know, fencing has gotten more popular through um, just some people in the sport um, have gotten into um, like fashion and things like that and kind of have pushed the sport a little bit more into the mainstream. Um, I still think there's a long way to go. And I think fencing, fencing is a really unique sport and it's great to see that it's growing in this country. I definitely think we can grow even more. Um, 
But from where it was back when I was eight years old, I think there has definitely been a lot of growth. And I think one thing that um, does make it sometimes difficult for it to grow in this country is because it often has the reputation it's not spectator friendly um, because there are a lot of rules, right? And it's kind of sometimes hard to follow. Like you said, when you watch it, you kind of have no idea what's going on if you're not um, if you're not a fencer. I think there's a lot of things on the back end that you know USA Fencing can do more in terms of promotional content, marketing, things to kind of draw the masses to learn more about the sport. Um, and I'm curious to see in the lead up to LA 2028, um, because we do have, you know, really great metal potential, both in Paris and in LA as well, um, how the sport can grow even more. What, why do you think that it isn't more popular? I would say there is a bit of a barrier to entry. Fencing is an expensive sport. Um, getting started, you know, you have your equipment fees, you have coaching fees. Fencing has also always kind of had this reputation of being this elite sport, right? You think of kind of the preppy elite um, sport. And I think it's trying to kind of shed that image. Um, there's a lot of organizations in this country that are like nonprofit organizations that are trying to bring fencing to communities that otherwise wouldn't have had access to fencing. Um, Myself, you know, included, uh, my parents couldn't afford to pay for fencing for me. And so I got by a lot, you know, you know, coaches identified my talent pretty early on. And so they kind of helped invest in me. And I was able to get funding, um, you know, through through the club system in, in, in this country, as well as, you know, once you reach the top four in the US, you get funded for your travel. So I think, um, I think that's, one of the biggest factors is kind of that reputation and that barrier to entry. And so making fencing more accessible, um, introducing it more to communities that may otherwise not have had access to it before is a great way to start growing the sport in the U.S. Follow that up with a lighter one. How many times do you think you hop in a bout? <laughs> I have no idea. I've never been asked that before. Um, I don't know, but it's a lot. It's a lot because you're constantly moving, right? It's it's um, it's short spurts uh, of really really intense movement. Um, I don't know. I'd have to get back to that one. <laughs> yeah, that. But I will say a lot. Why do fencers move like that? Is that just like the fastest way to kind of move forward and move back or side to side? Like, what's the reason for that style of movement? Yeah, I it. I don't know, like historically, why that's always been that kind of position, right? If you're right-handed, you have your right leg uh, facing forwards and your back leg in like a 90 degree angle. Um, I'm not sure the historical reasons behind that, but like, you know, I've seen photos of like historical fencing and things like that. And it's always in that position. So it's always been that way. It's definitely a very awkward position. And it's very funny when I have like friends who want to try the sport for the first time. It's very funny to try to see them get into on guard position because it's not a natural position for anybody to get into. Who's the Who's the country? If the U If it's the U.S., it's the U.S. But like, what's the country that like? Oh no! Here come the. <laughs> for us, it varies by between the men and the women and the the different uh, weapons. For us, for women's foil, our biggest competition right now, I would say, are Italy. Italy's number one in the world, we're number two, and also France. So obviously the Olympics will be in Paris. 
So fencing um, France, if we end up fencing them, will be scary because they're the the home country. So always have to, you know, they always have an advantage on home soil. Um, and then Italy historically has been the toughest country for us. They have beaten us much more often than we have beaten them. Um, and they beat us in the, the Tokyo Olympics in the bronze medal match. So we ended up finishing fourth. So that's gotta be hard. Fourth is very painful to walk away with nothing. Sorry if I just brought up old. No, that's okay. <laughs> I've had a couple years away from, you know, away from it. So I can talk about it. <laughs> is this a sport where a woman can beat a man? Yeah. And so I would say in foil fencing, the men, right? They're faster and stronger. There's kind of no way of getting around that. Um, but what's great about fencing, you know, when we were talking about kind of the different body types that can excel, um, there are always counter actions to every action and somebody's strength can always be, there's always uh, something that you can do to overcome that strength. So I've beaten many men in my training. Um, I would say if I was fencing, let's say at a world cup at an international event in the men's event, it would be very difficult because of just the, the strength and the speed component. But I do think women are more technical. Um, and I think, uh, I can beat a, a decent amount of men, I would say. And I think I'm also a very physical fencer. I'm very tall. Um, and so that physicality and aggressiveness, I think benefits me. And so when I do encounter a man who is very strong and fast, I can kind of go head to head with him a bit, but there's, there's also a, a limit to that as well. Um, does, okay. But somebody who goes in one discipline, can they transfer over to another one? Or is it like, no, 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 you're good at this one. And you are going to not transfer over to this one. Yeah, so at like at this stage in my career, I would never be fencing FA or Saber. Um, they're very different. Now, a lot of people or, or kids, when they start off fencing, they start in foil. Um, in foil, you build a really strong technical foundation. And then from there, sometimes, you know, you may move into FA or you mo may move into Saber. Um, so I think foil is a great foundational weapon because you just learn the, the technique really well um and just kind of the basics of fencing and then you can kind of branch out if you want to the other weapons again fa like some things that uh coaches look for when they um kind of move their uh students into different weapons is for fa fencer they may choose someone who's really really tall um being very very tall and fa right you can fa you can hit anywhere in the body the timing is, is a little bit different and so being tall is more advantageous than fa in Sabre, you kind of sometimes look for somebody who has a lot of like passion and strength and is very, um, very emotional. Uh, Sabre fencing is very emotional, um, I think. And so there's certain attributes that that coaches will look for depending on, you know, and then they'll place them into another weapon um, if they don't stay in foil. Does it hurt? Um, you get used to it. So you get bruises. Um, you, you know, we have our protective gear. And um, it does its job for the most part. But if somebody's very strong, they can hit you and you come away with bruises. Um, other injuries, like we get a lot of um, women have a lot of hip problems in fencing because, you know, the way that you stand in fencing and the lunging is really hard on our hips and just women's hips are shaped differently than men's hips. And so you see a lot of the top 
female fencers have hip problems, like torn labrums, things like that. In terms of like when you get hit, you kind of get used to it. It's not that painful. But for somebody who's not used to it, it will be a little shocking to just get hit with a sword. I would imagine it feels like a paintball gun. Like, ah, I've never played paintball, so I can't compare it, but... Yeah, it leaves a bruise. It, like I have bruises after practice every every practice, and I just get used to it. Yeah. How would you do in an actual sword fight? Oh gosh! <laughs> How often do you get asked that question? Right? Is that is that the first question somebody asks you when they find out you're a yeah. usually yeah, yeah. Usually something okay like that. Um, sword fighting and fencing is very it's very different. Um, probably pretty well, like probably better than the average person. <laughs> um but it's fencing is fencing is very different fencing is not like what you stereotypically imagine like knight sword fighting right there's it's very different than that but i would say probably better than the average human (laughs) there's never been like a situation where there was maybe something going on and you've been like let me use my fencing background to stop this fight or anything like no, that. No, <laughs> never. I stay out of those kinds of situations. But I will say fencing definitely like it it your reaction time, your hand eye coordination is pretty pretty elite. So I would imagine if I ever got into an altercation like that, I would be okay. You do all right. <laughs> Who's the best fencer of all time? She is an Italian women's foil fencer. This is across all disciplines and between women and men. Her name is Valentina Vizzali. She retired. Um, Rio was her last Olympics, I believe. Um, but she has won every imaginable thing, like multiple, multiple time Olympic champion, world champion, um, many World Cup medal titles, team titles. She is the goat of the sport. What? Why was she so good? She was. Her timing was incredible. She had incredible, incredible timing. Um, fencing, when she was fencing, was a bit different. I would say now women's football fencing has definitely become more physical, whereas before the women were not as, um, the women that were doing very well were not as tall, I would say, and as physical. Um, and so her timing was just impeccable. Like you would watch her and you just, your mouth would be agape at just like how, fast she was and decisive and she knew exactly what to do at every single moment and um she had a crazy work ethic and was a perfectionist and she yeah she was just really really incredible to watch is there trash talk (laughs) like in the middle of a fencing bout or or afterwards either one not really because fencing kind of has this there's a certain decorum that comes with fencing. It's a very respectful sport. You're always, you know, you salute um, before and after about you shake hands with your opponent. There's a lot of respect that happens in the sport. So I would say men's saber has probably the most amount of trash talking. Um, but I wouldn't say there's there's very much trash talking. I don't know if this one applies, right? If you want, if you want to take this one, take it. If not, if not, uh, mm-hmm. best sword fight scene in a movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they're all horrible. You know, <laughs> like I truly think that if you feature fencing in like a movie or a TV show, you need to work with actual fencers to be able to accurately reflect what fencing is like 
everything that you see in like the parent trap or like I hear about the James Bond um, scene where they fence. Um, recently, wasn't there the Netflix show with who was it? Oh, Wednesday, the Adams family. I think there was a fencing scene in it too. It's all so inaccurate. It's very frustrating. It's a little bit of a pain point in the fencing community because all they have to do is hire somebody for a couple of hours to show you how to like properly be in like fencing position and, you know, and just kind of coach you through it. And it would be a lot more accurate than it's currently portrayed. This may, you may crush my feelings here, but how do you feel about the princess bride scene though? Right? Like that's kind of, that's bad. It's not the worst one. There's, there's much worse. It's really not that bad. It's one of the the better ones that I've seen. I still think of that. I'm not left-handed. I love, I love that one. Like, but I'm not left-handed. <laughs> anyway, um, ooh, best piece of fencing lingo. Oh, this one's kind of funny. Whenever I say this, I mean, I don't think it's funny, but people who are not fencers think it's funny. So we call our the pants that we wear. They're called knickers, and so people think it's really funny. Um, and in England, they call them breeches. So it's just kind of like an outdated term that, you know, people kind of laugh at whenever we say that we have to go put on our knickers or our breeches. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, kind of yeah, you got to mind that. Um, okay, I don't know if you're one person, one athlete, athlete that I asked this question to, he's like, I don't want to answer this. I'm superstitious. Um, mm-hmm. But what's kind of coming up next for you? I know you got a lot of stuff coming up. It sounds sounded like. Yeah, it's very busy for us now. So I leave for Peru this Thursday for zonal championship. Um, and then we have a training camp at um, Summer Nationals, which is the biggest fencing competition in the country. Um, and we have a training camp in preparation for world championships, which will be um, in late July in Milan. And it's a big one um, because all of this counts towards the Olympic qualification. So the way fencing works is instead of like gymnastics or I believe like diving, there's certain sports where you have just one event and that's the event that you have to do well at to qualify. Fencing is a full year. So you have to compete at both national and international events. And then you accumulate points based on your results. The top three well, if you qualify team, the top three will go as individual competitors. And then you have the fourth as a reserve athlete for the team event. So it's, it's a long, it's very important events coming up and it's a long qualification season for us. I want to thank Jackie so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included her information as well as some links about how you can get involved in fencing in the episode description. If you want to see some of her competitions, we've included those in the YouTube version of this episode, which goes live on June 22nd at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Would you want to fight somebody with a sword? No, actually. I would rather run at somebody with a gun with the intent that they may shoot me before I go to try and attack somebody or defend somebody with a sharp object. I don't... Like, a sword, to me, is scarier than any other weapon. Like, if somebody was coming after me with a sword, then almost any other thing, I'd be like, whoa, man, I'm getting the hell out of here. 
I think there is a there there's something about folks with knives and sharp objects to where you go like that takes a lot more effort. I can understand that, right? Like if somebody's coming at you with a gun or a firearm or something like that, they might not be entirely serious. Like, oh, okay, maybe they're just doing this for show. But if somebody's coming at with you with a sword, like they mean some business. Are you saying this because you have a sword and you went after somebody? No, I do have a sword, but I keep it in the back of my car and my children look at it every time. But I bought it for $65 when I was drunk. It's a pretty awesome sword, honestly. That was one of the best purchases I think you've ever made in your entire life. I really feel like that was one of my best purchases. The most value I've ever gotten out of $65 is talking about my ninja sword. What's the best purchase you've made in your life that you've been like, ooh, that was a good purchase. I'm really happy I bought that thing. Hmm. There's not there's not really many, to be honest. I mean, things that really – I mean, I can't really think of one right now that stick out, I guess. I, there just isn't one object really where I'm like, man – thankful i bought this object or this thing i can think of a couple i bought a wagon that i used to both cart my children around and my groceries that was an incredible purchase having a wagon a huli rake i don't know if you've ever know what a huli rake is but if you have an opportunity to buy a huli rake you should absolutely buy a huli rake good pair of scissors good kitchen knife I can think of a lot of things that I bought. I was like, oh, thank, I'm glad I bought that thing. That was a good idea. Bike rack? <laughs> no, I mean, are there things where I'm like, yeah, that was a good idea to buy? Sure, but are there things, and you know, is there one item where I'm like, man, I'm really thankful I bought that? Nah, not really. It kind of sounds like you're not really making, making smart purchases then. Or I am because I'm not spending any money. That's not true. You buy a lot of dumb shit. I wouldn't say dumb. That's things that I like. Makes me happy. So then, but you didn't list those as any of the purchases that you're happy with. So then how happy could you possibly be? Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you buying a tabletop board game is what made me happy, but it does make me happy. How much is a tabletop board game? I don't know. I mean, they, they vary. I mean, it's like anything. You can get one, you know, for 50 bucks, or you can buy ones for $150. Which one are you getting? You getting they get you, you on the shipping, though. That's where the bastards get you. Oh, they always get you on the shipping. Do you think that they're really spending that much money on shipping? You think that's just a hidden charge? Oh, it's a hidden charge for sure. Yeah, it is. Why did you say that like that? What do you mean? How did I say it? Like, why did you say hidden charge for sure? Well, I just took a, I just took a, a drink of something real fast. It was kind of like the back of my throat, so I just was, no. I've been noticing you've been drinking a lot of flavored water. What's going on? I have. Well, I'm trying to drink uh, so much water a day, right? Uh, and th- there just comes a point in the day where I'm like, I don't want any more fucking water. Like, you know, I- I'm just done with it. I- I'm drinking like nearly 200 ounces of water a day. And it's like when I get to the to like now, it's you know late afternoon, early evening. I'm like, man, I just don't want any more regular fucking water. So why are you drinking so much water? I'm just trying to clean out the system a little bit, you know, trying to just trying to just trying to do one thing decent. I, the only thing that annoys me about water is that the answer to everything seems to be just hi, be hydrated now. Like, oh, I you mean, got you lost an arm. Just get hydrated. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the one the it helps, though, the function functionality of your body. Right. Does it? I think it does. I mean, listen, I have no fucking clue. I'm only going by what doctors have told me. But I think, I mean, why would they 
Well, I almost just said one of the most asinine comments you can ever go ahead, say. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. Let's hear it. Why would the doctors lie? <laughs> I mean, for the same reason anybody lies, man. Your dad's a doctor? How many times did he just not give a shit? No, I mean, that's a job that you take pretty seriously, right? God, Even if I, you don't yeah. care, like, you don't want to get sued. <laughs> so, like, you kind of have to get that right. You generally want those people to kind of know what's going on. My dad is a doctor, and he would always go on a big rant about how the eight glasses a day was bullshit and that you really only needed to drink when you're thirsty. And I was never really sure if he was like, does he know what he's talking about or is he just set in his ways? Because I think he might have been set in his ways sometimes. But yeah, he might have also been right. He was a doctor. You're probably right. I, I don't know, though. I don't know. Well, that's a cute little mug you got there. What are you, yeah, are you drinking tea? No, I don't drink tea. Oh, what are you drinking on the mug? I'm going through a cup phase. Do you ever go through phases where you're like, I'm going to drink everything out of a cup? Like, it's just soda, but I put it in a cup. I go through phases. You never go through a phase where you're going to put everything in a cup instead of drinking it out of the container that it was in? No, because I'm a grown-ass man. I'm a grown-ass man, too. That's why I got this fancy-ass cup. Not some haircut. Paid how much? We both got haircuts. How much you pay for your haircut? Let's cheap off. I, I was actually ranting a little bit, and I, I this is going to sound terrible, and I, I apologize in advance. The place, and I love this place, by the way, uh, before the pandemic, it was 16 bucks. Mm-hmm. Then during the pandemic, it went from 18 22 Now it's $25. You're paying $25 for a haircut? It's That's a, a $10 increase in four years. I look at everything in terms of percentages. That's almost a hundred percent increase if you think about it. It's probably like seventy five percent increase. I got my man, I don't know what his name is. I don't think he speaks English, but he, he cuts your hair for eighteen ninety five. Why is there like a why is there a cent thing on there? Should it just be nineteen at that point? Eighteen ninety five. That's what he wanted. That's my man. Yeah, well, you know, but by the time I'm done with tip, it's you know, thirty two, thirty three dollars, which is fine, right? Because if you think about it, you go every two, three months. I mean, it, it equals out to like $15 a month, which is not bad. I really – wait, you're getting a haircut every month? Uh, probably, I have to go like every two months. In the summer, I probably should go every month. Okay. My hair grows. I'm like a chia pet. Yeah, I could see that actually. And I could see that a little bit. As long as it's still there, man, that's good. Okay, all right. Let's, all right. Well, listen, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta say one thing real fast. So this has been kind of bothering me for the last couple of days. So, you know, we, we put out our top five lists on on social media, right? I, I don't I I don't know how I'm gonna i I'm gonna script this guy's name, but Ben Oh, are you gonna try to argue with oh, Are I'm you gonna try to argue Why? Don't You're don't a- listen. Here's the thing. Don't 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 respond on social media to a post and say that I have the worst list. Your list and is pretty not, terrible. It was fine. And not give any it. backup to anything. All right. So Ben, if you're listening which maybe you maybe you are. Put your top five out there. Let's see. I want to see what your top five shows are. I think it's because that, like, so my former career, I was a news reporter, and you just faced criticism for anything that you did no matter what, right? Like, if you wore a blue shirt on a Monday, people would be mad about that. So I don't pay attention to any kind of criticism. It doesn't bother me in any way. It, it didn't even it – didn't, well – Oh, you, it looks, you it, seem like you're pretty upset about it. You're a little flustered. It's not that it bothered me, but first off, you say guy on the bottom. You didn't even, you don't even know my name. So that pisses me off, first off. Take the time to get to know my name before you call me out, young man. In his defense, we don't put your name anywhere on that. My name isn't on it anywhere. There's no Listen way for him to, the to podcast, find you. Then. 
Listen, listen. Look, he's not going to invest that time. I'm frankly on his side. That's one of my favorite things, right? Is when somebody just puts on a post and puts wrong and says nothing else. I love it because I know that it drives you crazy, which is why I love it. Right? I I like some construct. I agree with you that I like some constructive feedback, and I don't care what it is. If somebody's got like a legitimate point, and they can kind of like, hey, this is how I feel about things. I'm legitimately interested in what people have to say, but I love it when somebody just puts like wrong, no. Because no, I, I know it annoys the hell out of you, and I'm just like, I can't wait for John to be mad. I'm all pissed off. <laughs> I, I had this whole thing. I literally, over the weekend, <laughs> I had, pissed. on two separate occasions, I had probably two paragraphs ready to click send to bend, and I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So I got the advice one time that write a letter and then burn it. I never, <laughs> I don't argue with people online, man. There's well, just, it's kind of like you're text message too, right? Like, you know, what once you send it, once you put it out there in the world, it's out there. Like, it's just out there. That's why I don't like to say things over text message or anything because you have a written record of everything that you've done. I I am trying to adopt the Sopranos method of like I only talk to people about things face to face. That's fair. In the middle of a field, while well, I know there's no cameras. You can't trust people, man. Somebody might be recording. Oh, absolutely. Like you, you right it, now. Uh, you got to watch it, man. You never know what's going to come back and bite you in the ass. All right. Here's some shout outs for the week. And uh, Ben, you are not on this list, by the way. Shout uh, out to what's his name? What's his full name? Ben doesn't even. The, the guy that, you know what? He gets as much respect as he gave me. The guy that commented on our Instagram post. How about that? You know what? He took time out of his day to watch something that we created. And if you put something out in the world... You can't be sensitive about what people have to say at it. Once you put it online, it's not yours anymore. It's the world's. If don't, you can't handle the criticism, then you're in the wrong business. Don't get me wrong. I it's not, I already said it's not about the criticism. I'm fine with that. I mean, he could have said a million things about my appearance, whatever. God knows it's there. But instead, he just said the list is terrible. Tell me why. Give me your ideas. Ben. Be more be more constructive with your feedback. Yeah, exactly. Tell make me a make me a better podcaster, Ben. All right. I hope that people just keep start crushing you. I just, from now on, I hope anyone listening to this just goes wrong to all of everything, Johnson. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they <laughs> will. Flood. At least a certain a certain group of them, I'm sure will. All right, some shout outs first. Uh, Brent Purvis, <laughs> Joseph Collada. God, how much does he hate his last name? <laughs> Purvis. Dylan Blow. <laughs> Mickey Gibson, Josh Valleas, uh, Joseph Stitzel, Jack Edmonds. That's a good strong name, Jack Edmonds. Sounds like a car dealership. Jack Edmonds <laughs> Ford. That's a car dealership right there. Uh, Miguel Ruiz, Chris Yu, and Noah Harding. Chris Yu. It's Y U H, and it looked like it was a it wasn't you know it was a real last name. So good good for him. Why would anyone ever use their real name on the internet? I mean, don't we? Do you have a burner? Do you have a burner account? Do you have any burner accounts that you troll people on? No, because I don't. I don't troll. I don't care enough to troll people. I've thought about it, but then I just got lazy. Like that's just too much effort to be involved in things like that. You would absolutely troll people because you're kind of a troll in general. Yeah, but I don't think it's as interesting if they don't like if you got to like let them know who you are, right? I mean, I guess so. I don't. Right. Yeah. I think it's more 
I like I've said I've said this before in previous episodes. I don't think there's enough confrontation in the world. Well, listen, I'm going to stop you there because that's my first question. Okay. Uh, because I had a little incident over the weekend on the golf course, which we won't get into, but uh, wasn't it wasn't terrible? It wasn't. Are like, we about to get into it? No, it wasn't like it, there was no like. It never got maybe above like a two, right? But me and two out of five, two out of ten, two out, two out of five, ten. two out of ten, okay, two out of ten. Uh, but anyway, so my question to you is, how old is too old to get animated or like basically be ready to throw down over? something 35 40 like like when do you just not give a shit anymore i don't think you should ever reach that stage i think that you should be 95 i think you should be two days away from the grave ready to go at people if they're doing something that you people need to stand up for themselves man the world is gonna walk right all over you you don't have to be mean you don't have to be violent you don't have to be a jerk about it but i think that standing up for yourself is something that's incredibly important and people should always do don't take people's shit most people will like, and the thing is, it's like, I'm not a big guy. I'm a smaller guy. Right. And if you come at somebody, they'll, most of the time, they're going to back down. It's like, you got to fight for what's yours, man. I cannot take you seriously as you keep drinking pop out of that mug. Just can't do it. I like this mug. It's got that special kind of cooling stuff that I don't know if it actually works, but you definitely have to pay more for it. My wife got it. My wife got it. It says teaching is a work of art. She's a teacher. Can Did you have a good teacher? Father's Day? I love Father's Day now, man. Father's Day is the coolest. That's my favorite holiday in the world. I know. Like, my, my wife and kids did it up for me, and I I was thinking yesterday, like, man, I probably should start taking Mother's Day seriously. Yeah, it's weird that as much as I like Father's Day, I don't really pay a lot of attention to Mother's Day because I don't want to go to brunch. Fucking hate oh, just, brunch. Always hated brunch. <laughs> what was your story? It, it it was it, we don't have to get into it. I just wanted to know what. Wait age a minute. Is. So who did you get into with on the golf course? I I wouldn't say I got into it, but we, me and some buddies were golfing. Obviously, we're walking up to a green to putt, and uh, somebody had hit their ball into a sand trap near the green, and they were driving near it. So I pointed to the ball and I said, "It's right there." So then the driver, and these were two younger guys, the driver then says, "Can you point to the ball again?" Kind of like being a smart ass. Uh, so I was like, it's right there. And then they said something else. And I said, well, you wouldn't have to worry about it if you would have hit the ball straight. Ooh. And then they picked up their ball and drove away. But but then my friends afterwards kind of made me feel like the dick. They almost pulled the Nick Van Zan on me. And they were like, what if, uh, you know, the driver, his buddy, was like basically making fun of the guy that hit the ball. It was like telling me like to point out the ball again, like making fun of him like what if they weren't talking shit to me but like the guy was actually asking me to like make fun of his buddy again probably i don't think that there's not a lot of confrontation on the golf course how many people were in the cart two there's two how many four of us two of them yeah dude he wasn't gonna start two people aren't gonna start stuff with four people he was probably just trying to get you to make fun of his friend, and you misread the situation and took it took it personally (laughs) this is the whole thing right you can't take things personally so much man People aren't always out to get you. Must be, it, must, it must have been, man. It must it must just be me. Maybe I'm just, just ready to attack always. I have no idea. What are you so upset about, dude? Why are you so stressed? I mean, you're my friend, all right? That's one thing right there to be stressed out about. Right? You can't always be a firecracker, man. Can't. Sometimes you got to be a slow burn. Well, my second question here is uh, it's not serious at all. Um, 
do you prefer? What was your week? first question? I was asking you what at what age is it too old to confront somebody? Oh, never. I and think you that you've got to. Right. I think that you've always got to stand up for yourself. Otherwise, the world's going to walk all over you, man. My second question is, what what's your favorite type of noodle? Regular noodles, whole wheat noodles, or chickpea noodles? What's just the kind? What's the spaghetti? I do. It's my favorite. I don't kind even know why noodles. I put any thought of this question. Yep. Spaghetti, right? Like what? Just give me the blue box or or wherever you shop. You probably... Right. Like, I don't know what kind of answer are you looking here for, right? I, like, I, I, know, I want I the kind of noodle that's an ancient grain that has descended from the fields of Italy and been passed down through generations and is cultivated by a small group of farmers that only farm with non-industrial equipment. Talk to the <laughs> spaghetti. I, I, should, I should have known my audience. I don't know why I even thought that. You may have any kind of anything on a different kind of noodle than literally, you know. I've just so. never – like I think about a lot of things and I've never thought to myself, what's my favorite kind of noodles? The cheapest one. That's how I Fair. buy spaghetti. Fair. What's the second cheapest thing that I can find? Because it's all spaghetti. <laughs> I, I just should have known. What's What's the better color, blue or black? Probably get more out of you for that. Oh, well – but it depends what you're doing, right? Like blue is ultimately the better color. It makes you feel better. I think it's a better looking color. But black is always a standard thing that you can really it's hard to go wrong with black in a lot of situations. All right. I'm gonna I'm just gonna move on here. So uh like usual, uh check out our Twitter. Uh usually on Mondays you can check out. We have a poll up. You pick it, we talk about it. So here are the choices that did not get chosen this week. Uh beavers. I love beavers. I love beavers too. A great um, animal, right? Like I think that as a society, we have greatly underestimated the importance of beavers. I don't know how beavers made it into like being a sexual innuendo. I don't know either, honestly. What like there was a lot of animals you could compare to a woman's, you know what? Maybe it's the chose... same haircut. Maybe it's the same color. <laughs> a beaver? Like <laughs> why would I... it be called a beaver? That doesn't really make any sense doesn't like it has sharp teeth and a floppy tail i have no idea and it's not exactly like i mean a beaver's not really a hairy animal i don't think so right no why would a beaver be no idea uh all right uh let's see the show date rush apparently a new season is coming out and it was trending all over twitter if you can tell me what country the show date rush comes from i will buy you dinner Norway. Norway. Uh, no, Ghana, but close. Uh, there was a new poll released. What is di- What is it? It's kind of what you think it is. It's uh, it's a Ghanaian television show. Uh, apparently, that's uh, it's a dating show, but it's like out of Ghana. It's Ghanaian, and I guess did it's- you had did you know it was Ghanaian? Did you know that's like the way to refer to people from? Things coming out of Ghana, Ghanaian, or did you have to look that up? I know. I actually knew that, actually. That's incredible. Thanks. Good for you, Ray Thanks. McNally. Tom, Tom <laughs> No, Tom. I actually knew that. Uh, Tom, Tom McNally. Uh, let's see. The other one that do did you, not do win. Do you have a piece of knowledge that you would love to come up in conversation so that someday that you can say that? Like, I just can't. I want someone to ask me this question so that I can someday say this thing. This no, thing not, I, I mean, know. not really. I mean, 
I don't, I don't think so. Do you? I know why the wind blows, and I always am hoping that someone asks me what, why, like, the wind blows. And I always want to answer that question, but I've never had the opportunity to give an answer as to why the wind, the wind exists. Hey, Nick. Yeah? Can you tell me, why does the wind blow? Well, it's ultimately because the Earth doesn't heat up at the same rate. The Earth is tilted on its axis about 24 degrees. So as the sun comes up, it heats up the Earth in different parts differently. And that temperature imbalance causes air to move from one location to another, which causes the wind. Uh, let's see. Uh, the other one that did not win was, uh, there was a, a, a poll released. I don't even remember who it was by now, but, uh, basically that stated that just because, uh, you drink every day does not mean that you are considered a heavy drinker. I kind okay. of agree with that. So, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, just, usually for me though, it just doesn't end at one beer. That's the problem. Right. So beers. I don't think that you should read that and then think that there's an excuse like, Oh, okay. I'm not a heavy drinker. <laughs> well, you're having six beers a day, man. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you may be at that point, right? Right, right. Everything is relative. Uh, so what one, actually, and this is an ongoing story, uh, so by the time this podcast comes out, probably won't be relevant uh, anymore. Um, but apparently, there was a there's, – so there's a submersible that uh, that tours the Titanic uh, um, uh, wreckage. And apparently that little submersible has gone missing with five people on board. Well, they're probably not going to be found. It's just weird, right? It's, it's, it's one of those things to me. And it, the reason why I kind of put it on there was for, for two reasons. One, it's interesting and it's current. Two, it kind of reminds me of that Malaysian flight that just disappeared and has never really been found. Um, how does a submersible with, you know, how many tracking things they have on it just go missing? I mean, the it ocean, doesn't happen. The ocean's a big place, man. I don't know <laughs> if you're aware of this. The ocean is quite a large place. And something probably happened and crushed everything. The, I do. I understand what you mean, right? There's some things that I'm, I can never tell, right? Like, how don't you find this and how could you find that? I feel the same way about stuff. Like, whenever people go missing, like in Florida in the swamps, like, how could you not find them? And also, how could you find them? I think I feel both ways about the same thing. Like, how could you do this and how could you not do this at the same time? I would never get in a fucking submarine, man. Never. I mean, I, I mean, I say I would. I would, I think. I would. Especially for something like that. Like, if they're like, we're going to go tour you around the, you know, uh, I almost said the remains of the Titanic. The, I guess that's what they are. I would do it. For sure I would do it. Sounds fantastic. Exciting. I would, no. No way. I would. That's the kind of thing that I would wait for. Like, well, I'm just going to wait 10 years when they get virtual reality, and I won't be able to tell the difference. Okay. Well, way to bring up the loss. Hope they find them. I hope so, too. Be praying for them. We'll talk about them next week. Okay. All right. Uh, are you ready for our top five? I am. So our top five is top five hardest places to park. I love how you picked this out. First off, you we never plan these things more than like two hours in advance. And you sent me this on like a Friday. So I'm I'm curious to see where you're going. I was high watching somebody try to park. I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, so my number five, it's it's pretty boring, uh, but it's just uh, the grocery store. I don't have any trouble parking at the grocery store. Just grab well, the first spot you see and get over with it. Stop looking for the thing that's going to save you 
20 steps of walking. I mean, mind you, uh, this is kind of like a really terrible list for me because I have anxiety parking. So um, I, I've I documented it plenty of times on this podcast. I don't like confrontation in parking lots. I will just dart into spots like I will park a mile away from the store. Yeah. My number five is an airport. I don't know really struggle that much with like the airport parking, like extended parking. But when you've got to like drop somebody off or pick somebody up, that whole parking experience is a pain in the ass because you have no idea where anybody's coming from, who's going where, what lane you're supposed to go in. I think airport arrival departure parking is one of the most difficult places to park. Orlando, where a city where we both used to live, has by far, and I've been, I mean, I've, I have, I don't want to sound worldly, but I've been to a few airports, and Orlando by far is the worst arrival and departure drop off slash parking you can imagine. Cause they always have, I don't know if it's an airport officer, I don't know if it's an Orlando police officer, but. They have some kind of officer out there that does not let you sit there for more than five seconds before they're like, you got to go. You got to keep going. You can't stop here. And it's like, how, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm waiting for a loved one. Like, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks to park to come back to walk across. You know, it just makes no sense. If somebody tells you that they want you to be at the airport to pick them up at 1230, their flight's coming in at 1215. What time are you actually going to get to the airport to pick them up? See, I'm always an early. I'm always early. I mean, I'd probably get there around noon. And then, no, not in Orlando. I would not, like, but, you know, in Detroit, uh, like, Chicago. Like, you can sit there, like, and wait for arrivals, like, in a line or whatever. You're going to get there early before their flight leaves, arrives? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Because what if it comes in a little? I mean, usually, well, nowadays, you can check the flight, right? So you can see where they're at if they're actually coming in. But back in the day... And I say back in the day, like a decade ago, uh, you know, yeah, I'd get there half an hour early if, if that was the case. You are a nicer person than I am. If I'm picking you up from the airport, you can fucking wait. <laughs> if your flight's coming in at 1230, I'm going to get there at 115. Give you 45 minutes to get through everything. And I'm coming in there and you're, you're getting picked up. I'm showing up. For, I'm showing up 45 minutes after your flight. I'm not going to leave my house. Until your flight lands. That's quite a dick move. But, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, efficient, right? Because by the time they get there, if they have bags, or even by the time it takes them to walk, you know, from the gate to the, to the, uh, you know, to the where you're getting picked up, it's probably 20 minutes. And yeah, minutes. that works out generally. I've, most okay. places that I've lived the distance from the airport, I'm going to leave when your flight lands. And it's probably going to be about right. I don't know All why right. you're showing up 30 minutes early. That's all right. You got to you. That's a bad strategy, man. You got to adjust that. My number four is uh, parking at get togethers. Uh, And I specifically mean, you know, uh, say you park in the driveway and then someone parks behind you or you Mm. get there and there's like that one spot at the end of the driveway or you park on the street. But, you you know, be a lot easier if you parked on the driveway or should you park on the street? It's there's 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 a lot of angst that goes in to parking at get togethers. I never park in someone's driveway. You pull in somebody's driveway when you go to their house? No, not, not usually. But, you know, it, it's always a thing. And I'm glad I'm never a part of it to where someone's like, yeah, I parked in the driveway. Can you back up to let me out? And it's just like, nope, want nothing to do with that. No. Why would you park in the driveway? You don't park in the driveway at somebody's house unless they specifically tell you ahead of time to park in the driveway. 
You don't park in somebody's driveway. And they probably did. It's a I'm, rookie mistake, man. It is. It's a rookie mistake. Ooh. Uh, my number four, if you get it, if you know, you know, it's a crowded trailhead. Because you've got really no other options if there's no immediate place to park. You've kind of got to wait for somebody, and you have no idea when this person might potentially be coming back. Or you've got to, like, find a parking space on the side of the road, and you have no idea if somebody's going to block you in or if that he can even park there or if your car is going to be back. So, like, a crowded trailhead parking, that's a, that's, that's a risk. You don't know okay. if your car is going to be there when you get back. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, though I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, my number three is metered parking. And once again, for those of you uh, who get it, you get it. Um, but it, it's just so stressful because you park at a meter and then if you forget how much time you put in, you know, and then you, I always find, I always wind up having, even if I get my car, I, I feel like before the time's expired, I still get a fucking parking ticket. Oh, why don't you just do it through like the app, man? You do do it through the app. Why don't you just renew it through the app? It's just terrible. It's just terrible. It's stressful. Stressful. It should be free parking. I hate, I hate it. it stresses me out. So metered parking is my number three. Uh, my number three is a high school parking lot. I remember going to school and like <laughs> the amount of accidents that happen in a high school parking lot between people walking, people driving, people parking. That's a difficult situation to park in, park in a high school parking lot. And if you go back as an adult for some situation where you have to park in a high school oh. parking lot and then you see all these teenage drivers – you suddenly realize, like, why did this ever exist? This is all a bad idea. I was going to say, do you go to high schools often now? I mean, when I was working at News, you'd have to go and, like, if something happened at the high school, you had to go to park in the high school parking lot. Yeah, talk to kids and things? No, I mean, you had to go talk to, like, the principal or the school official. I'm not going to talk to children. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, my number two. Um... I feel like you turned that around instead of just acknowledging the difficulty of parking in high school parking it was fine for me i had senior parking i had junior parking like i had an open lot oh was yours not... was well regulated yeah i mean i don't know it, it, it wasn't i don't remember ever being stressed out about parking mine was a free-for-all like I, I i do remember during like driver's training in my high school's parking lot uh a guy named tommy corn going up over the you know the uh sidewalk literally almost into the school. But other than that, it was fine. So oh, parking was great. I had a different experience. I saw a lot of wrecks in my high school parking lot. Well, that's what happens when you go to high school in Kansas. Nice car and Budweiser, man. You, you think they'd would. be able to drive better. Okay, what's your number two? Uh, so my number two is, uh, I mean, it's I, I don't know how to phrase this correctly, but it's really like any kind of like attraction, whether that be sporting events, Disney World, even the zoo will put on there. So like any kind of attraction parking uh, is just stressful as hell. I have no difficulty with event parking. They usually seem to have that pretty well. They got somebody flagging you, waving you over here, waving you over there. That's I the, actually think event parking is very easy. They just tell the you like, this is where you're going. It, Why is that stressful? Someone One, telling you exactly where to go? Yeah, but they're like, park in this spot. And you're like, I can't fit in that spot. And they're like, yeah, you can. And then, like, they pressure you, and then you get in there, but you can't open the door. And it's just, it's just this whole thing. Like, don't, you know, and, and you pay 20 bucks. Like, give me a break, all right? 
So you'd rather have a free-for-all than somebody organized parking you, telling you, come this way, go right into this spot. That's and the person not organized to me. Goes to the next spot. That's not organized to me. It's perfectly organized. It's like the definition of organization. Go down this row, follow the guy. He's going to point you right into that spot, and the person behind you is going to park right in the spot next hey, Herman, to you. Hey, Herman, Herman, is that spot open? Okay, well, you're no, just no, not paying attention. There. There's the thing. You're not paying attention. You're not an attentive driver. I okay, think event right. parking is one of the easiest places to park. No, I, I don't like crowds. I don't like people. No, I'm good. You're just nervous, man. You can't follow simple directions while driving. I think that you're the problem out on the road. What's your number two? Underground parking garage. An underground parking garage is always smaller than a regular parking garage. You can't see. Underground parking garage, to me, is one of the most difficult places to park. Hmm. I don't recall the last time I've ever parked in an underground parking garage. It's hard. Tighter spaces, less maneuverability, like the space is smaller. The space that you have to pull into the space is smaller. Underground parking garage is way harder than an above-ground parking garage. That's that's one of the highest levels of driving difficulty. All right. What's your number one? Street parking. Yeah. My, I just number one? My number one, I really actually thought about it, but it falls into the umbrella of street parking. My number one is downtown parking. Anytime you're parking on the street downtown, because there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of people, you don't know if the spot's going to open up, you got somebody in your ear that's always like, that one's open, that one's this one. <laughs> that, to me, is the worst it's, parking place. It's, you know, and you have to parallel park, and there's so many cars now that pretend to do it for you, but they really don't do it for you. It's... uh it's just stressful. It's all stressful parking. I do love though watching someone parallel park. Yeah, I don't. I don't even like. I I I just want to get away. Just give me wherever I'm going. I'll compliment somebody if they do a good job on a part parallel park and be like, "That was a good one. That was nice." Do you, do you know the key to a good parallel park is? Yeah, start earlier than you think that you have to do. There you go. And don't be. You're not. You're not going to hit the vehicle in front of you. Uh, because it, it, you're just not going to. So, I saw somebody la- this weekend though that like they had started it off so badly. The start is really the beginning. If you line it up right at the start, you're going to be fine. I live in Seattle. You got a parallel park probably once a week, so I have to do it a lot. But I like it when somebody <laughs> does it wrong, and then yeah. they've like almost gotten themselves stuck. <laughs> right, and they're like awkward now, right? Because they, they they don't want to back up, but they don't want to go forward, like I, for sure. I think the hardest thing to do though is parallel park on a hill with a stick shift, which is what I have. Oh, well, you include a stick in anything, and it's going to be tough to do. Yeah. Okay. What's in your honorable mention? You know what? I don't. I don't really have any. I mean, I put a mall, but like that's the same thing as a grocery store, really. Um, I could yeah. see my, I, I thought about an outdoor mall because you got a lot of people, a lot of people kind of looking around, not really paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah. People walking across crosswalks, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I, I had hospital parking too, but like, I don't really, once again, it's, I don't know, not, nothing really good on my honorable mention today, really. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of all covered by basically like street parking, downtown parking. You need to get out more, man. Try to park in an underground parking garage and see how you do. You want to talk about that? That nerve-wracking. Take your stick to the trailhead and I'll see you later.
Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for... Why can't I talk? I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or review. Doesn't have to be some big thing, just a couple of quick words. And let us know what you think are some of the hardest places to park. I really think that John is underestimating the difficulty of an underground parking garage. But if you know, you know. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.